Welcome to the Bethel Podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend time in God's Word. We hope that today's message blesses you and lifts you. If I could take you to Judges chapter 10 today, Judges chapter 10, and uh, it's just 18 verses, and I'm going to read all that in just a minute. But first, before I do, I want to read to you Genesis chapter 4. Go to Judges chapter 10, and I'll read you Genesis chapter 4, verse number 26. It reads like this. Now, this is in the beginning of time. This is when, when time began. It was the, the world was in its newer stage than it is now. But the Bible says like this. It's Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. It says that the most that men, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And I've heard people say, well, what does that mean? What, 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 what happened in that particular early stage of, of the world when men began to call on the name of the Lord? Now, i got a couple of meanings here from theologians. One said that means to call upon the name of the God, addressing him by his proper name, or it can even mean they began to call him by another name or his right name in a wrong manner. Another theologian said this, they said, scholars are split. Some say in these days God began to move the hearts of godly to restore religion, which the wicked suppressed. There was an organized and a public worship of God, a revival. This view also developed into the Sethites as the sons of God. Now, some of you are going, well, what do you think? Pastor Kerry, what do you think this meant? I believe this was the time when men and women around the world began to realize that there's a God that they could call on and that would answer them in their time of need. I believed it was a time where folks began to realize that when the kids were sick in the middle of the night, you could call upon God and God would answer your prayer and that sickness would go away. I believe it was a time when they heard about the God who brought rain when crops were dying. And they began to tell one another around the world, did you hear about the God when you've done all your plowing, when you've done all your planting, you've done everything you can do and there's nothing left to do and it still won't rain. You can call upon the creator God of heaven and earth and he'll bring rain when you need it. I believe it was a time when they heard about God, the God who would fight battles for him. When people would come against those in the world and they said they were, they were outnumbered and outmatched, but they began to tell one another, do you know Know that there's a God who you can call upon when the enemy comes against you, when he begins to strike against you, and that God will fight your battles for you. I believe it was the time when there was a worldwide movement of prayer as a means to get help from Almighty God. And I believe it continues this day. I believe today there's still that movement of prayer that goes around, that there's still people who intercede. There's still people that realize in all the technology we have and all the advancements we have, nothing can take place of when people are in need and they call upon the name of Jesus and he answers them in a multiplicity of ways because I believe that God still answers when people call out to him. If you need help, you can call on the name of Jesus. If you need hope, you can call on the name of Jesus. If you need righteousness, my friend, you can call upon the name of the Lord. If you need rain, sometimes you can call upon the name of the Lord. And you can pray, and God will answer. I'll say this. I'm, I'm just 50 years young, and, I, and, I, and I've kind of, kind of come to agree with my brother-in-law, who's about 15 years older than me, and he said this. He said, the older I get, he said, not only do I not know the answers, I don't even know the questions anymore. But I believe this, it doesn't matter. If you know the answer or the question, I know there's a God who knows them. And you've got a direct link with him through the name of Jesus. I mean, you've got a, a front row seat with God in heaven as you call upon him, and I believe he answers you. If you put anything on my tombstone, please put this. Let's pray.
because I've lived my life when I didn't, and I came to places and I didn't know what to do or where to go, but I knew that there was a God that we could call on. Now, that's just the introduction for those of you who are keeping score. Now we're going to get into Judges chapter 10. Are you there? Because it's going to set you up as we talk about our conversation today. And let's read first, and then we'll, we'll, then we'll discuss it. Judges chapter 10, verse number 1. And after Abimelech, there arose to defend Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he dwelt in Shamar in Mount Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years and died and was buried in Shamar. And after there arose Jair, a, Gilead, a Gileadite, and judged Israel 20 and two years. He had 30 sons. Somebody thought, <laughs> he had 30 sons. Somebody thought you thought you had problems. Who rode on 30 colts, and they had 30 cities, which are called Havith Jair unto this day, or in the land of Gilead. And he died and was buried in Cameron. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtoreth and the gods of Syria, the gods of Zidon, the gods of Moab, and the gods of the children of Ammon. The gods of the Philistine had forsook the Lord and served him not. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. And that year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel eighteen years, all the children of Israel who were on the other side of Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. Moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight against all of Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was sore distressed. And the children of Israel did what we talked about just a minute ago. They cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served Balaam. And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines, the Zidonians and the Amalekites and the Moanites, did oppress you, and you cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand? Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you, deliver you no more." Go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. But the children of Israel, listen to this. Said unto the Lord, we have sinned. Do thou unto us whatever seems good unto you. Deliver us only. We pray thee this day. Father, again, thank you for the word of God. Thank you again for the opportunity to hear the, the message of Jesus and the message that there's a hope in a place called heaven with a God who's mighty to save Thank you, God, that once again I pray that you'll prepare every heart to receive just this simple word. I pray for that precious anointing to preach it. More than anything, I pray you'll be honored and Jesus will be lifted up in this. And for all that, I ask him in his precious name. Amen and amen. Let me tell you the story here in my words. is that The children of Israel are in a cycle. This cycle is where they, they serve God. And then they serve God and then God blesses them. And then God blesses them and then they forget God or they go after other gods. And then God allows the enemy to come against Israel to oppress them. They all of a sudden begin to turn back to God. They get rid of their idols. They get rid of those foreign gods, and they turn back to God. And as I look at this, and they, it says even says they cried out to God, that times got tough, and, and their enemies came against them. But the first point I want to make today is that you know that sometimes in our life, sometimes there's a tough season, and it's not just the devil's fault. Sometimes when anything bad happens in the lives of Christians, the first thing they do is begin to blame the devil. And they'll say things like, well, you know, when the devil attacks, you must be doing something right. Sometimes when we, we believe that, that when things are tough, sometimes it's not just the, the devil's attacking. Sometimes it's God's trying to get somebody's attention so he allows some uncomfortable circumstances to come into our lives to get us to turn to him and look to Jesus. It says here, God's way of getting our attention was the same way he uses to get the attention of Israel. 
And I've heard times where friends have said, have you ever had a friend that you knew wasn't just really living right with God? And they would say things like this. They'd say, you know what, I'm just so tired. I'm just so wore out. Seems like I can't ever get ahead. I work all the time. I'm depressed. I don't have any friends. My dog's got fleas. Life's just hard. When you ask them the question, when was the last time you went to church or when was the last time you read your Bible? When was the last time you, you prayed to God? And they go, oh, I don't know, a long time, I guess. And in your mind, you're going, do you get the, are you understanding what God's doing? Sometimes God allows things into our heart and our life because he's getting us to turn back to him. The Lord loves those that he chastens. Every parent said amen. Because you don't ever spank or discipline your kids out of hatred. You do it because you truly, genuinely love them and want them to be a good citizen and a good brother and sister in their life. Now, if I, if I really look at this scripture here today and I see that sometimes things, things happen for God to get our attention, the second point I'd like to make today is that God's designed the best way to live is to be connected to Him. Say that again. The best life you will ever live is a life that's connected to Jesus. You can take any life in the world. You can take any religion in the world. You can take any person. Give me a name. But I promise you this, the best life that you can ever live is the one where you live it for God. Not just today, but 10 years ago, that was still true. A thousand years ago, that was still true. If the Lord tarries in a thousand years, the best way to live life will be to live for Jesus Christ. doesn't matter what age you are, what, what, what pedigree you are, what amount of money you have, how many children you have. If you're single, it doesn't matter. The best life you can ever live is the life for Jesus. The way the world's designed is your best life is connected to your job. It's connected to your family. It's connected to your amount of money or success that you achieve. But that's not what the Bible has to say. What are the, indi- what are the indicators of a disconnected life from God? Can I tell you the indicators of a dis- disconnected life from God is a life that does not pray and ask God for help. Now, hold on. I'm not, tr- I'm not being ugly to you. I want you to know this, that there's something connected between praying to God and living the Christian life. There's something about it goes together. You can't really do one without the other. Because if you're a Christian and you love God, then you're going to talk to Him and you're going to ask Him for needs and and requests and petitions to Him. And there's times where we get away from that. There's times we pull away from that. And I'll make a statement today that prayerlessness, I think, is a sin. To not pray, to not call upon God is really not the standard that God has for me and for you. When you don't talk to your spouse, there's a breakdown of communication in there. When, you, when your parents don't take the time to talk to their children, something's amiss. When coworkers fail to communicate one to another, when churches struggle, they fail to fellowship one with another, there's a breakdown there, and there's a breakdown in communication. And Jesus said this. He said, my house shall be called a house of communication with God. I have pastor friends who I've heard talk in the last 18 months since COVID and all that's happened, and they say things like this. They'll say that, you know, we, we've lost some people because of COVID. I've heard some say we've lost some people because there's a new church in town. I've heard some people say we've lost some people we're not relevant today. I've heard people say a host of different reasons about the state of the church today. But can I tell you, if I could just be real honest, the reason that people are leaving our churches is because they're not finding what they need when they walk in the doors. See, this is a spiritual organization. And the Holy Ghost has to be here when people walk in the doors of the church. And the only way that I know to get the Spirit of God into a church is when people pray and ask Him to come. 
See, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says they were all together in one place, and they were praying and seeking out God. And as they prayed and sought out God, something marvelous happened. The Holy Spirit showed up. And when the Holy Spirit showed up, people's needs were met. People were saved. Their, 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 their hopes were, were restored. Something marvelous happens when the Holy Spirit shows up, and he shows up where he's wanted. Where people desire the moving of the Holy Spirit, he'll be. And the way he knows that people desire his moving is when they call upon him and ask him for it. There's no secret. After 2,000 years of this thing called the church, there's no secret how to get the Spirit of God into church, and that is to pray and ask Him. There was a revival that came out that the Assemblies of God came from. In the early 20th century, there was a move of God that took place to, from Bonnie Bray to Azusa Street, and it was the revival that started this end-time Pentecostal movement. There was a, a man named Charles Parham. Topeka, Kansas, he had a group of Bible students, and they were beginning to study about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues. And from that particular meeting of just a small group of people, there was a man named William Seymour. He was a one-eyed black preacher, and he came and he went back to his home church in Houston, Texas, and began to preach that there was a power. There was a work of sanctification outside of salvation, outside of sanctification, and it was the power that God gave for you and I to be, be uh, live for God in this day called the power of the Holy Spirit. He went back and he began to preach that. And there was a lady from Los Angeles, California, who had just happened to be at that Brother Seymour's church. And she heard him preach on this particular event. She went back to her church and her pastor. And she said, you got to have this one-eyed black preacher come. So Brother Seymour went to Los Angeles to preach at this church about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And that after the service the next day, the next week, they invited him back. But when he got there, he found out the pastor had chain-locked the front door and would not let him in. And the elders of the church said, it's because you have not experienced this baptism. You have not experienced these tongues is the reason why we're not going to allow you to come back. But there were some people that liked what he was saying, about seven or eight of them, and they met at this man's house. And then one night in the middle of a 10-day fast, as they were praying in a season of prayer, a lady by the name of Julia Farrow was sitting on a stool, and as they were praying, she began to, she fell off the stool, and the power of God hit her, and as she came up off the ground, she was speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Six days later, Brother Seymour received that exact same, exact same experience, and from there, there was a wave of God that moved across that city. They had to move out of the house because there were so many people on the porch of the house, the, the porch broke. So they moved to Azusa Street and rented an old rundown a store. And they began to pray and ask God. There was not a whole lot, but people began to come from all over the world, literally all over the city, and began to pray, and God, the power of God began to hit them one after the other. Real esteemed people were on the floor praying, crying out to God. Blinded eyes were open. Lame people were walking. People were being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And not just that, but all the critics began to come out. There was a whole real row of people in the back of the church that was kind of the critics' row. And they came to, to prove what was happening was not of God. And over and over and again, those critics found themselves face before God on the floor, crying out to God, speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It all started because people got together and were seeking God. And they just believed that there was more than just what they had seen in, in their experience. And my friend, I'm telling you today, there's more that God has for you and for me today. We have not even scratched the surface of who Almighty God is and what He has for me and for you.
He is waiting for somebody to gather together and cry out and call upon his name again and say, God, there's more in this world. There's more in this thing of the Holy Spirit. God, I just want a little bit more before I go to heaven. And God's ready and willing and able to pour his spirit out to anybody who will ask him for it. I dare you today. I dare you to ask God for just a little bit more. Oh, you said, oh, I've seen lots in my day. I've been doing this a long time. My friend, I wonder if there's just a little bit more. And that thing went across this world a hundred and some odd years later. The largest, fastest growing segment of Christianity is the Pentecostal Christian in the world today. Because somebody asked the question, the people got together and thought there was more from God. Around the turn of the century, there was a pastor, Brownsville Assembly of God in Pensacola, Florida. His name was John Kilpatrick. He began to ask the exact same question, God, I know there's more. He would go to his church in the middle of the night, walk through the pews, walk through the the, the aisles and cry out to God at the top of his lungs, God, I know there's more. God, I know there's more. And there came a day when the Spirit of God began to hit that church as an evangelist came and they had revival. And all of a sudden, not just a few people began to come to that revival, but they came by the thousands to see the presence and the moving and the operation of the Holy Ghost at Brownsville Assembly of God. By the end of the time, by the time the revival had closed, hundreds of thousands of people had gone to Pensacola, Florida to experience the presence and the moving of God. And he said, it all started as I walked those, walked those aisles and prayed and cried out to God, God, I know there's more. God, I know there's more. And I wonder if there's somebody here who will get this on the inside of them today and they'll cry out to God and they'll just know, God, I know this. If I'll cry out to you and ask you for more, you'll give it to me every single time. It's just a move of God that takes place when people cry out to him. And my third point today is that it's not just petitioning God and asking him. It's when people get together, petition him, and cry out to him. Universal prayer is the key. It's when a group of people, no matter the size, are unified in their need to ask God for more of him. That's when he responds. It's when a group of people, no matter how big or small, gathered together, and then they begin to cry out to God. There was just 120 in the upper room, and God moved. There was just seven and eight, seven or eight at Bonnie Bray Street, and God moved. There was just one man in a church and by himself, and God began to move. And I'm just asking you, what would happen if maybe just a few of us got together? Maybe all of us got together, and we were in one mind and one accord, and we were asking for God for something that maybe we hadn't seen in our lifetime. And we believed that God was going to do it. And we believed that we just got together. And we just asked him and asked him and asked him and then asked him again that he would do something marvelous. I believe there's somebody here. I believe God's stirring somebody. Go, let me be that one. God, let me be one in that number, a one that believes, God, that you can do something great again today, that you can move upon the hearts of a church, the hearts of a city again today. If we'll just gather together and universally and corporally believe that God wants to pour his spirit out one more time, I believe God will do it. I believe God will do it. He can move. It's when he moves. See, something marvelous happens when God moves. See, the people said this in verse 15. The children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do thou unto us whatever seemeth good unto thee. Deliver us only, we pray this day. It doesn't say one guy said that prayer, does it? Go back, and if you look at it in verse 15, it said the children of Israel. Everybody corporately had the same idea. 
In other words, everybody was on the same page. Everybody was, was, was kind of, they were kind of, they all believed the same thing. And he said something happened. That's when God delivered them, when they all got together and said the exact same thing. Can I tell you something as pastor? Let me be honest with you. I despise begging people. Let me say this. I don't despise. I don't like about the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> begging people to come to church. This right here is the greatest thing that happens in the entire community right here. It's the greatest thing. It's better than what happens at the movie house. It's better than what happens at the schoolhouse. It's better than what happens at the courthouse. It's better than what happens at the jailhouse. This house right here is the greatest thing that happens every single week. And to beg people to come to this, we give away gift cards to get people to come to church. We have, we, 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 we have meals. We do events. We pass out flyers. We give out candy. We do all kinds of things, and I'm talking about just corporately, not just just particular this particular church, but we do all kinds of things. We get young pastors that are gifted and that can sway crowds. We do everything in the world to get people to come to church, and there's nothing wrong with it, nothing wrong with giving gift cards out, nothing wrong with anything that I just said, but there's one thing that you have to do. Sometimes you have to, when there's no power, you got to do something to fill in the gaps. See, when the power of God comes, they'll come. You don't have to beg them. If something's happening here, my mother-in-law said it like this, you just catch on fire, let the Holy Ghost set you on fire, and they'll come just to watch you burn. And if we'll just catch, catch fire, they'll come to watch us burn. If we'll just decide we're going to together, we're going to do something, and we're going to let God set us on fire, people will come from all over just to see the fire and to see the flame. We won't have to beg them. We won't have to cry. We don't have to do a host of different things. But when a sick person's healed, they'll come. When a backslider repents, they'll, they'll, they'll come in droves. When the atheist is converted, when the missionaries are sent out, when the races are coming together in different great denominations and ages and people and races are coming together, can I tell you, people will come. And they'll fill the house because they want to see the power and the moving of God. God, let it be again today. Let the best days be in front of us and not behind us. Let the best days of the moving and the operation of the Holy Ghost not be back there at Bonnie Bray Street, not be at Pensacola. Let it be at Bethel in 2022. And let there be some people somewhere that will gather together and they'll grab a hold of the horns of the altar until God shows up. And then our kids will be touched. Our students will be touched. We don't have to beg them and coerce them to serve God because they'll know it for themselves. Nothing wrong with any of those things I just said. Now, here's the part you're probably not going to like. Because something's going to happen when you dedicate yourself to praying and petitioning God, to seeking His face and turning from their ways. It's a burden. It's not something you just kind of go, okay, I want that. It's something you got to ask God for, but it becomes a burden. And it's, uh, let me tell you what a burden looks like. When you get burdened for God to move, you might just desire to cancel Netflix. When that burden for prayer is just so heavy, it may make you to turn off social media. When that burden for prayer, for God moving is so real, you may have to forsake the movie theater. Nothing wrong with any of those things. I'm just saying this burden is going to take place of everything else in your life. Because you go, God, before I go to heaven, before I leave this world, there's one more move of God that I know that you have. And I'm going to give every ounce of, I'm going to give every dollar I have. I'm going to give every ounce of energy I have because I know there's something that you have. And if you can just get a group of people, a handful of people who will believe that together, God will move in a mighty, marvelous way. Isaiah says it like this. When this begins to take place, every valley shall be exalted 
Every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked place shall be made straight, and the rough places will be made plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now, this is really the bad part of the whole sermon. See, there's this thing called fasting, which I don't necessarily like at all. But as I read to you from a couple of different scriptures, you're going to see that something happens when people pray and fast in conjunction together. And when I say fasting, biblically, fasting means abstaining from food. And I know that some people abstain from food. You fast certain days of the week. You fasted and you have juice fast or you do a Daniel fast or something like that. But fasting in its most purest state is abstaining from food, not to starve yourself. But the purpose of fasting is that there's certain things that you can do. If I can turn to you to Isaiah chapter 54, it gives us the description of what we're to do when we fast. Isaiah chapter 54, verse number 5, if you'd like to turn there with me. He says this. He says, for your maker, Isaiah 54, chapter 54, verse 5. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall be called. For the Lord has called you as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. And a wife of youth, when you refuse, says your God. For a small woman I have forsaken you, but with great mercies will I gather you. In a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment. With everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you, says the Lord your God. See, sometimes when we fast, it seems as if God's nowhere to be found. But we realize right here what's happening is God's doing something wonderful. And he's moving in the midst of times where we feel like there's nothing taking place. And see, the thing is, is fasting calls, requires us to humble ourselves. And it's the hardest thing for a person to do is to humble themselves and to pray and to fast. But let me tell you why it's so important. Because humility is a wonderful quality for Christians. Humility is a wonderful quality for Christians. God will never humble us. There's nowhere in the Bible where you can read where God humbles somebody. God will humiliate us, but he won't humble us. And prayer and fasting is the thing where we actually humble ourselves. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. See, prayer is, is, is just a, is, is the very thing that God looks for for us when we come to him. He says he'll, he'll dwell with those who are humble and have a contrite heart and a spirit. The thing is, is humility is the thing that God looks for because humility takes pride completely out of the way. You say, is pride that big of a deal? Yes. Pride is the thing. The first sin that was ever committed in the world was, was done out of pride. Satan wanted God's place. He wanted God's throne. And his pride caused him to be kicked out of heaven. Pride is something that just destroys people. Something that causes things to happen in this world. Wars are fought over pride. Famines take place over pride. Greed takes place over pride. And that's the thing that causes people, to God, to resist it. But the one thing that God knows, God does, is when we humble ourselves and pray and fast, you know what begins to happen? Pride goes out the window because we're saying, God, look, I need you. And I'm dependent upon you tells us that fasting does certain things. It says that when we fast, it's not just to, to starve ourselves to death, but it tells us that what fasting does is fasting causes a person to humble themselves. And it's the fasting is done for the other person, not for you and for me. It's done for somebody else. And it says that when fasting does, it's done the right way, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. There's a benefit when you, when you withhold food and you seek out God. Because God knows that you humble yourself, you've forsaken your pride, you've gone after him, and you've sought after God. You say, God, I need you. I, I've got to have you. So much so that I'm willing to put aside what, I, my, my, what my desires are, put aside what I want to eat, and come and seek out after you. 
So when I say prayer and fasting still works, prayer and fasting still works. If you go to Ahab and Jezebel, if you remember the story Ahab and Jezebel, in this world, if you're a bad person, bad girl, they equate that with the name Jezebel. Evil Jezebel, Ahab, the wicked king. The Bible says that Ahab was the wickedest of all kings. In other words, of all the kings of Israel, Ahab was number one. That was bad, Ahab was number one. The story goes like this, that the prophet had come to Ahab and told him that his, his reign was going to end. He told him how it was going to end. Told him that he would be burned. I'll, I'll read to you. It's from 1 Kings chapter 21. He says to Ahab, he said, Have you killed and taken possession? Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond, or free in Israel. The prophet said, Look, bad things are coming to you, buddy. You've hurt people, you've, you've wounded people, you've caused bad things to happen, and he said this, bad things are going to come to you. And the Bible says in verse Kings chapter 21, verse 21, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his Sunday, son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. The wicked king Ahab, who was married to Jezebel, God heard him and, cried, and God moved on his behalf because a wicked king fasted and prayed before God. And if God will do that for a wicked king, what happens when God's people begin to cry out to him? When God's people begin to forsake food and begin to seek out after God? What happens if it happens for an evil person? What will God do for the righteous? That tells me that God does something when people pray and fast, when people collectively gather together and begin to seek out God. Something wonderful begins to happen. Something marvelous begins to happen. What can God do if maybe this week you and I just set aside some time to pray fast and to seek God? What might happen this time next week? What might happen this time next year? What might God do if we just collectively believe that we know that we know that God's got one more move of God in this world? Father, in the name of Jesus, our movement, our fellowship has decided that this week that they're going to pray fast and seek out God for this year. And Lord, you know that I've done my best Lord, to preach and to encourage people to do the same. But what I'm asking you to do right now in the name of Jesus, that you'll touch the heart of some people in this room some people who are listening today on our live stream, some people that will listen to our podcast, I pray that you'll touch their heart. And God, that something on the inside of them will grab a hold of this, that this is a season and a time to pray, to fast, and to seek God. I pray, God, that it's not just for an old person thing or a young person thing. I pray it's for everybody. I pray collectively, God, that we'll do our part to see God move in 22, that God do a great thing in our generation and in our day. Because if you did it back then for them, God, if you did it for Azusa Street, for Brother Seymour, and you did it for Brother Kilpatrick, God, there's some kind of move of God that we have when we separate ourselves to seek out you. And so I pray today, God, that you'll stir those hearts in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it challenges you to dig deeper into the Word of God and grows your faith. If you would like to reach out to us, please visit our website at www.mybethel.net. Thank you.